sharing your story is powerful. It's so powerful. Every time you share your story, it's like a beacon of light to others. And we haven't been sharing police stories on here. I just haven't got around to it. Sorry about that. So, so happy on the show today. We're going to have Paul Glennie, an RCMP member. And he also has a background in peer support. He's going to share his story of PTSD and recovery and resources. Thank you for tuning in. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Three, two, one... On Operation Tango Romeo, one of the gaps that I have is that I don't have enough police people on here. So we're fixing that a little bit today. On the show, we have RCMP member Paul Glennie. Paul, thanks so much for being here, brother. Thank you for having me there, Mark. So I reached out to the MPF, the National Police Federation, on Facebook, and there was a meeting of the minds, and they all said, Paul Glennie, that's the guy we're going to get on the podcast. <laughs> you got nominated. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so let's start there, since that's how I was connected with you. The National Police Federation, uh, what is it? Why is it? Uh, the National Police Federation is uh, the RCMP's first ever union. Um, the inaugural board got sworn in of January this year, so after a very, very long time, uh, court cases and certifications and and this and that so uh this is the first time that twenty thousand members of the rcmp have an association um so it's working its way through uh, uh structure right now and i was involved with the mpf for for four years when it first spun up in 2016 um and then up till january this year so i was on the board and was uh grateful for that and and got to help out and basically ride the shoulders of giants. And that was kind of cool. And uh, it's really, it's a good thing to see because uh, I think that they're going to do a fantastic job overall and, and change a lot of the culture of, of what we have right now. So is it a union then? Is it a police union or is it, what's the difference between this and a union? Uh, it is a union. Um, it's just uh, in, in the policing universe, it's it's considered an association just because uh, things like you can't strike and this and that. And every other service uh, in Canada uh, has a police association. So we are the last of which um, to, to adopt that and finally get that passed through federal court and, uh, and go from there. So now that what that means is... Uh, you know, we can have collective bargaining, we can have negotiations, we can have this and that. And uh, that's all really important stuff because our counterparts in the province and different municipalities have had that forever. And they're looking at us going, you know, hey, <laughs> come and join us and, and we're here, right? So uh, they are, they're helping us out too. It's amazing that all the years, all the history of the RCMP and the members have never had a voice until now. 
Yeah, we exactly. Uh, when we did, uh, it was on it was on good merits, but it was in internal. Um, the process was internal; wasn't independent to the RCMP, and uh, and that's what the uh, court case was about for a long time. Just saying, we need an independent body uh, to represent the interests of the members because. Uh, I mean, we have seven over 700 detachments and you're talking about like diverse interests, you know, from the Arctic to federal to international to cities to, you know, way out in the prairies type thing. Uh, so there's a lot of different of, of interests that need to be covered. So it's it's an exciting time. 700 detachments. That's a that's a whole lot. Yeah, there's a few. <laughs> so, uh, the the focus of the NPF uh, is mental health a part of their scope, a uh, part of the stuff that they're uh, trying to improve within uh, the RCMP. It is from from what I could see. Uh, uh, they're introducing um, having the uh, the families as a part of of the model moving ahead, and the the idea to what I could see is to be progressive and and more. I think assertive with with mental health because uh, it you know a police officer is is subjected to uh, sometimes unconscionable things and and sometimes those those interests need to be pushed forward to change things right and uh, they see that I think and I know uh, a bunch of the the board members and and they're uh, just so excited to move forward on these issues um, but. Things take time, right? So, but it's in the right direction. I heard a rumor that you don't have to comment on <laughs> that uh, <laughs> mor- mor- morale in the Mounties has been the screaming shits over the last uh, few years, even a decade. Um, do you think that the NPF is going to have a, a an effect on the morale of the RCMP? Uh, I don't know, like right away, but I think eventually... Yeah, because, you know, uh, there is definitely um, morale issues. And and I think I can't say that as a blanket statement. I think that, you know, there are definitely members who are happy and and this and that. But I think, you know, when you're 130 something on the pay scale in Canada for police services and when you have sort of archaic equipment and you have, um, you know, low resources and stuff, it's hard not to. Uh, to have that, um, I think the MPF will will help push workplace habits in the right direction. Um, you know, obviously negotiating for a raise and this and that is is big, but I think habit change is is what they're going to be able to 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 bring to the table. And uh, you know, there's no more status quo of of just unilateral decisions happening. Like you have to do this and you're ordered to do this and don't ask why and, you know, forget your feelings, right? You know, um, tuck it away. And, and I think um, it'll push that in the right direction. Well, when a group of people feel that they have a voice, an effective voice, that by itself is a booster for morale. It makes you feel that you're a part of it. You're a part of the solution. And that's important. Yeah, very. Um, and, you know, you know, for for the individual members to know that uh, there's something standing with them and behind them on on these issues. And 
you have someone you can go to and, and call. And, and I don't know, it, it won't be an end-all, be-all fix, but I think it's in the right direction to push us where we need to be. And uh, especially around things like mental health, which are, I think, in general, are in their infancy on, on putting to the forefront, uh, just talking about it, doing something about it, being proactive. And I think that that's all-inclusive, right? Tell me about the evolution of the mental health conversation within the RCMP over, say, the last 20 years. How has it changed? Where was it? Where is it today? And where does it need to go? Uh, well, uh, I have uh, 14 years in, and when I started, it was uh, uh, a different era. Um, mental health was not talked about. And, and uh, even when you're you're moving on uh through your career it, it's it, i'm not saying you're stonewalled I'm, I'm it's just it's not a topic you talk about and i think over the last five years there's been a somewhat of a push to do some some different something different and uh you know to roll out the r2mr and, and these other things and they're good um what's the r2mr it's the road to mental readiness. Um, and it's, they have it, uh, it's basically a workshop seminar for resiliency and, and uh, mental health readiness and that sort of stuff. And it's supposed to help you flag where you're at. Uh, you know, they have color codes. And I think generally speaking, it, it gets a bad rap, but I think generally speaking, it's it's the right idea. And, and but it, you know, again, it becomes the good thing is it starts to change the language and open it up a little bit. But I still think we're in our infancy in in dealing with a lot of these things and putting it out there. It's still an awkward conversation when I talk about, you know, my own uh, post-trauma. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you get a reaction like full stop, like, I don't know what to say. Right. And that's fine. Uh, we'll get there, right? You know, we'll get there just like we would be talking about hockey playoffs or whatever. It's just gonna be something you talk about. We're not there yet, but I think hopefully we'll we'll move in that direction. When you first reached out for help for PTSD and first put up your hand and said, "Oh shit, I think I need some help here," um, where did you go? What was the path? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a fun question. <laughs> that. Uh... It was it was incredibly hard. Um, I had a, my first number of years um, were really tough. For, uh, you know, just exposed to uh, different operational elements that were pretty bad, and and some administrative stuff. So that was in when I was in Manitoba. Not in Manitoba is a fantastic province, but you know, it was just my story. And when I went, I transferred up to the Arctic, and um, a lot of the feelings and memories and stuff started to percolate while I was up there and I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that something was off. Uh, um, and then I had reached out and asked for, for a doctor and, and that was not really well received. And then um, it basically, life became a complete and utter tailspin. Uh it was over the course of a few years and uh, progressively worse to the point where it, you had, I had to do something uh, full on desperate, full on surrender, full on 
um, crying and I don't know what to do. And my life is, you know, three feet big. And uh, I, I remember the day I picked up the phone. It was actually a Remembrance Day in 2011. I didn't know it was Remembrance Day. I pick up the phone and I called our our health services down in Edmonton and uh, I was, was hoping to talk to someone and I ended up leaving a message and they're like, hey, you know, it's a holiday. I was like, oh, Christ. Uh, but it took everything in my might to pick up that phone. I was so terrified. There are so many barriers. Um, I was scared of what's going to happen, what's going to, whatever. And, and um, you know, is this going to affect my career and, and you know, what about my life? And, and But it was just utter desperation. And I needed to do something different because um, life was, uh, yeah, it took a nosedive and I was almost done. I could tell you that. So it was close and, and I'm glad that I reached out. But that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Brother, I know that feeling of yeah. the thousand pound telephone. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have a lot of pride and a lot of... Uh, self-reliance and especially like in our profession when you know where a lot of us are independent operators meaning we were able to fix things we're able to roll with it we're able to adapt we're able to do a lot of things but you know it came to this sort of thing and i had no answers and i was out like i had no idea and uh, that like you said that that phone was a thousand pounds and you don't know what's going to happen <laughs> and when you call you just, it's like a Hail Mary, a leap of faith. And, um, you know, my hands are shaking and my voice is trembling and I don't even know what I said. <laughs> and I think it's probably even more difficult for active serving members because they're worried about career implications. Now, I it, think, yeah, I think you're right. There was a time that it was a career ender, at least that's how it was viewed. Uh, I've had some top brass argue the point but say well you might argue the point all you want but the perception was the perception among the ranks and whether it's military or rcmp so on a scale of one to ten ten being completely comfortable to pick up the phone and ask for help and feeling that you're completely safe it's not going to impact your career that's a 10 and one being holy shit i'll be lucky if i don't get fired um reaching out for mental health in the rcmp where would you say it is now well, my experience has been that it hasn't impacted my career. In fact, it's probably um, in in some ways strengthened because um, what I don't realize, what I didn't realize is the byproduct of, of, of doing the work in recovery is, is you get to become whole again and your mm. priorities become different. And um, you're... <laughs> your workplace will be a, a mirror of where you're at, right? So I could say that my career has not really been affected. I was very fearful that it, was, it could have been, but I think um, if anyone were, 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 were to worry about that, um, I would say don't. You know, at are, the end of the day, are they though, it, Paul? Like, is, is the general mood among the ranks of uh, trepidation to reach out for help, or are people would, comfortable reaching out for help among the ranks right now? Would you say? I would. I would say that uh, I think that people still have reservations uh, mm. for sure, and I think uh, that's a massive barrier. 
Um, maybe it has to do with, um, you know, trust and, and, you know, is my best interest actually going to be looked after and what's going to happen? And, you know, I don't want to go off of work. When I went for, uh, asked for help, I, you know, I said, I don't want to go off of work. They're like, yeah, okay. And I ended up going off of work because that's what was necessary, you know? And I said, I don't want to move. And they said, yeah, okay. And I ended up going to Edmonton <laughs> and, and I said, I don't want to be compensated. And they said, yeah, okay. There's this thing called veterans affairs, which I had no idea about. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not talking just necessarily financial compensation, just in general. And, um, so there were things in place where it started to make, you know, the quality of life a little bit better, but the thing was focusing on the work and focusing on myself first was the critical thing because I couldn't half measure, you know, what I proved to myself was I couldn't, you know, manage my own mental well-being and try to do the job because uh, I was a dying soul, right? And um, I'm pretty well dead soul and uh, something needed to change and I was scared. I was scared of what that change looked like and I was scared to keep going because um, the world was pretty bleak. It was it was pretty dark and you take a leap of faith and try something different and it and it plays out okay. But you don't know that in the beginning, right? You don't know that. And I think today, you know, if enough people hear stories about that you just look after your own interests first, um and and your own well-being first and do but do it you know honestly and, and diligently that the rest of your life like plays out i don't have a family i don't have a wife i don't have a child i don't have a job if i don't have recovery it's pretty simple right you know i get all those things because i have recovery and the quality of life becomes better for me as a byproduct you know uh, because the world doesn't seem so dark. And we have a natural, natural, just as for the same reason that it's difficult to reach out for help because we like being the hero. We like having a cape flapping in the wind. And that's why self-care is also a challenge because like, I got this. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I got this. I don't need help. I got this. I'm the hero. I'm the one that rescues others. But if you don't look after yourself, if you don't have... Uh, the self-care if you don't realize that self-care is not selfish it's not no. selfish it's no, necessary no, no. it's selfish if you don't do self-care yeah and if you don't do the self-care you can't look after others um to the full fullness of your ability you can't no and and uh i can't speak for others but in my case before i asked for help Self-care was nowhere near a thing for me, but, um, I mean, that's a, I'm operating, um, in, in a, in a mental zone where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm numb, I'm switched off and, um, and the world is, is, is pretty dark and I'm, and I'm working and, um, that's, that's a problem, you know, that's a problem for, for, for me because, um, I'm not operating where I need to be. And, you know, in hindsight, when I look back and I'm like, oh, you know, and I, and I shake my head and I'm, I'm just like, I have some compassion for that person. 
But at the same time, I'm like, that's reckless, right? Because for me, I can only speak for me because I didn't know any better. I didn't know there was another side and I didn't know that I could get help. I didn't even know what it was that I, that I was suffering from, right? Um, but it, if, you know, if I could have that conversation with that guy, it'd be like, uh, just take a, take a knee, buddy. It's okay. Take some time. To and, have that conversation, that ha- that's one of the reasons for having peer support groups. What sort of peer support is available within the RCMP? Um, there are, uh, there are peer support workers, um, in the RCMP. Um, it's, it's evolved. Um, I, I'm not sure how big it is. Uh, a lot of the peer support is done through different groups, whether it's, a, um, say OSI clinics or, or, uh, you know project trauma support or whatever i've never been but i hear that there's some there and 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 external to the rcmp uh we need to do a far better job at that um and where we stand because uh it's it's not acceptable where it is what was your involvement with uh peer support um so i did i've done it informally uh, external to the RCMP through a, a couple different organizations. Uh, one of them is Badge Life Canada, uh, being involved as a lived experience person there and um, through Facebook as well, different support groups there, um, being a, a moderator and then helping, uh, helping out there. And uh, on an individual basis, um, you know, a good percentage of my phone is people I've never even met. <laughs> And just touch and base because that's what someone did for me once, um, and that meant the world, you know. So try to pay that forward. Um, so that's what it looks like for me these days. How would you define peer support? What is it in your from from your perspective? Uh, to me, it's it's um, it's a group of people that get it. So to me, the opposite of, of PTSD is connection. Mm. And um, a peer support network would be a group of people that can connect on a common peril. And um, they get it. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, you know, whether you're a military first responder or, uh, you know, perhaps you're a grieving parent that lost a child. The, the common denominator is the trauma and the loss, Right. And the peer support is, is to connect those people uh, and, and those stories and those emotions, you know, and uh, it, yeah, that, that's how I see it. It's, it's, yeah. From your experience, what would you say are some of the do's and don'ts of peer support? Um. So in, in peer support, uh, what you don't want to do is is always be the talker because that time is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is when you're doing peer support, whether it's in a group or individual, it's, it's your time to listen and to relate. Um, again, this is just sort of my opinion. So, you know, if, if, if someone comes in and, and, and all they have is someone talking, 
and saying opinions and this and that, well, it's hard for that person to connect. Mm-hmm. So I think part of the do's is, is to be a really good active listener and, and, and be empathetic and to listen and, and to relate. And I think a lot of it has to do with hope and vision because you can be an example of change. You could be that person, you know, that, that, that person can connect to. And all they, they say is, I don't know what that person has, but I want it. And, you know, the sufferer may see that. So if you're sitting there you're, and you're listening and you're being compassionate, you're doing a lot of those things, you have that calmness and you have that serenity and, 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 and the person may, may gravitate to that. Right. How important do you think peer support uh, is like, what should it look like across the RCMP or across the 700 plus detachments? Well, and, and this is it. So we, we say that we have it, but in my experience, I've been involved in, a, in many, many critical incidents. And I've only ever once been to a debriefing, um, which is problematic. So I think peer support is, is the extension off of that sort of uh, debriefings because like we're, we're in policing and we don't, we don't get called to, to places because someone baked us a pie. We, we get called because it's a, <laughs> oh, it's come a bad on. day. That would be, that'd yeah. be a great day. I would go to a lot of calls, like you know, <laughs> all those calls and just get pie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if only, but, uh, you go because it's a, it's a, it's someone's bad day or maybe it's the worst day of their year or life. So you're constantly around that and a major incidents, it needs to kick kick in the the peer support people so that you can have like the the early intervention. So you can get in front of things before they have a problem to you know miss that or uh, get worse, right? Like and, mm-hmm. the and, the early intervention. For sure. Good segue, by the way, because um, my mm. next question was, is there any preventative measures uh, in the training now at Regina? Has uh, Depo changed at all to try to create mental resilience to PTSD? Uh, I, I can't say what, what Depo is doing right now because uh, I don't know. Uh, I, when I went through, they weren't. Uh, they There may have been a lecture on it you know, an hour long type thing. I just realized uh, I have to translate for the rest of the planet. We're listening to in 22 different countries. Depo is recruit training for the RCMP. So that's where they do their, their, that's where they become cops who get transformed right. from civilians to uh, cops <laughs> yeah. in, and Regina is the name of a city in Saskatchewan. So that's right. If, if you're listening to me from Venezuela there, it's been translated. Yeah. Look up Regina. You'll be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I can't, I, I can't speak to what they're doing nowadays outside of, of, of doing the road to mental readiness. I don't know if they're still doing it at depot. Um, I had heard that they were, were including, which is decent, but uh, again, it's, have you ever heard of, be done. have you ever heard of the boss program? Boss? Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's out of Calgary. There's a group and it's before operational stress. So it's basically resilience training. Okay. No, I'm not familiar with that. And 
I mean, resilience training is pretty important. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty damn important. But it's because uh, the measures across the board, whether it be military, police, have been getting better. And there's something about the last five years. There's a new age. It's a new game now. People are talking about it. Uh, there's more and more resources that simply didn't exist 10 years ago. Now there's more resources and more understanding about what the injury actually is and how it affects somebody's life and what the benefit is to the police force or to the military in not only preventing it, but when it does happen, uh, getting on it as quick as possible and being open about it and not having any stigma attached to it. That makes the force stronger. There's less sick days. There's less nasty incidents that, uh, won't be making the news because it didn't happen now. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When somebody is flat out, um, when I got back from the war in Croatia, I went through the process with both uh, RCMP and Emerson Police Service. And there was a little voice in my head going, You better not. There's going to be an incident. <laughs> and um, which has happened with some of us, you know, because uh, my cups are, sure. yeah. cups are already full. I don't want to punch a little old lady in the face because I snapped one day because that's going on the news. And I oh, sim- absolutely. simply didn't yeah. trust myself. And um, and that's why, but I, I'm not the only one that doesn't trust himself. You know, there's some people that they, they to do their job effectively, you've got to get the help. You have to, or you can't do your job effectively. It's going to end up being uh, a news story because you overreacted and people can get killed when that happens. Yeah, exactly. And, and your own life uh, suffers, uh, you know, your relationships, your contact with the outside world and, and your world gets smaller and smaller. And that's, that's, a, that's sad, right? It's this, that's people start avoiding you and you start avoiding people. And before you know it, there's nothing left. Well, exactly, and and that's that's exactly what what happened in in my case, where you know I became a big time isolationist, and um, it, it's kind of it's you know related to what you're saying in that um, you know changing the narrative in that conversation, and 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 someone will know what to relate to. Like when I I went to a psychologist, I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I was like this car is broken, you're a mechanic, you know, do your thing. <laughs> and, and I was terrified and scared. And, and um, you know, then they came up with a diagnosis of, of PTSD, which was on, uh, initially frightening. But uh, the second part of it was, oh, there's a name for this, right? And I went on Veterans Affairs website and I checkmarked all the symptoms. And I was like, oh, Jesus, yeah, that was me. Uh, yeah, hypervigilance, I get that. I can understand that. So the language was there and I could relate to it. And when I could relate to it, I knew I wasn't alone. But what peer support and everything else and, and putting it out there today and having that, you know, narrative change, you know, even like this podcast, someone can relate to it and say, oh, that sounds familiar. Maybe I might want to check in. Um, and it doesn't hurt to do that, right? Uh, you don't have to drive the garbage all the way to the dump, right? Like I did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't have to do that. And, um, and, and to know you're not alone in, in that battle, in that fight, because, uh, 
you just you could you can get in front of it earlier and you don't have to do what I did. And it's an injury, not a disease. And it's yeah. it's not a sign of weakness. If somebody if somebody gets shot and a bullet whistles right through your uh, shoulder, nobody goes, "Really? Why didn't it bounce off?" The hell? Would have bounced yeah. off me. You know, I right. my my shoulder never would have let a bullet go through it. What the hell's wrong with you? Nobody does That's that. That's right, yeah. Nobody does that. And yeah. that and, and PTSD is no different. Um I still prefer OSI, operational stress injury, because it's more accurate. Not because it makes me feel better. It's just it's it's more accurate. And when you get an operational stress injury, that is no different than a bullet whistling through your shoulder. There's fuck all you can do about it. Um, when it, when it happens, you can be more resilient. You can put an extra plate of armor in your, uh, flak vest, but everything, it, nobody is bulletproof. Nobody no. is. It can happen. Anybody can be injured. And when it happens, forgetting about it is not helpful. Pretending it didn't happen. Pretending you don't have a hole in your shoulder, not helpful. You have exactly. to deal with it. And, and, and part of the culture is to you know, move on, avoid that, move on. And that doesn't serve you very well either. Right. <laughs> and, and, and to be able to recognize that, take a step and go to address, you know, that wound and, and move forward. Right. Otherwise it, it, it becomes more sinister in your life. And the wound and, doesn't know. have to be a shotgun blast to the chest. Um, it could be a, pellet, no. it could be a pellet gun to the thigh. Like it, what, no, what, it, yeah. what I mean is that you never know, like, it's like, well, this is a tiny little thing. Like this, this should, this, this shouldn't cause me an injury. You, you don't know that because that tiny little thing may not be so tiny. It could be associated with some really big things from your childhood. Like you just exactly. don't know. Don't second guess yourself. If you're injured, you're injured. Uh, a splinter can turn into an infection and you lose your leg. Yeah, and and it's okay to not be okay. It's okay like, to not it's, be okay. It's completely fine, and uh, you know, guess what? You're human, and and that's okay. And it doesn't make you less than. I think one of the biggest, um, I would say, um, pieces of enlightenment I had in my in my recovery was I had always associated um, vulnerability with with weakness. And, you know, to talk about, you know, those wounds and to talk about um, anything. And I saw it as a sign, as a, as a weakness, uh, you know, um, until I realized that it was actually the opposite in, in being vulnerable and being open somehow provided me internal strength. I don't know how, uh, I don't know how that brewed, but now the equation of my brain is, is, to be vulnerable and to be open allows me to be stronger. And, you know what I mean? And when you do it and other people hear you do it or see you do it, it emboldens them and gives them the courage as well to reach out for help um, because you become that beacon when you tell your story. And Paul, yeah. thank you so much for being on Operation Tango Romeo today and having the courage to tell your story. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, I really, I really appreciate it. Hundred percent. Stay on the line. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. 
At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible. With a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. 